production. This episode is dedicated to my dear friend Dave, one of the most talented producers I have ever known. Rest in peace, beautiful angel. Today's conversation is about me, Sarah Grimberg, a writer and educator I have become wise teaching people of all ages the habits and strategies of the world's greatest leaders to help them live their most inspired life. Today I am joined by my dear friend, mental health advocate and former Australian football legend Wayne Swass to ask me the questions that you have all been curious to know about my life and journey. No one is going to get upset if you tell them that you love them. Love is what makes the world go round and if more people worked from their heart rather than their ego, then this world would be just purely magical. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. I am the author of the ebook Finding Greatness, which delves into my extensive research and knowledge on how to cultivate an extraordinary existence. Through my teachings, learn the proven habits and strategies to elevate your best life and self. At its core, this is a conversation about the importance of knowing who you truly are, the transformative power of owning and standing in your truth, finding peace through meditation and ritual, and most importantly, how to use your voice. It was an absolute privilege to share my story with you all today. My hope is that it inspires you to take action in your own life and allows you to rediscover your dreams and truth. Sarah Grinberg, welcome. Welcome. On your podcast. I know. Thank you for joining me. No, it's a pleasure. This is an interesting position for both of us to be in because you've interviewed me on your podcast. Yes. I've been the person interviewed. Whereas you've kindly reached out to me recently and said, could we flip the roles? Exactly. I mean, why wouldn't I? We have such beautiful conversations. You're a very dear friend. So it's it's time. This is where I get to ask questions of you. You want to get started? Absolutely. Let's go. Uh, there's, a, there's a bit that I'd like to unpack in today's conversation. I, I think a nice starting point would be your childhood. What, what are your recollections of a young Sarah Greenberg growing up? So basically, I had a... I had a great childhood. I have beautiful parents who I'm still very close with. I have a dear brother who is divine, younger than me, and it was it was an idyllic childhood. I can't complain. I mean, really, my parents were very much there for me and they never forced their opinions or their way of the world on me, which I think led me to be able to construct my own opinions. And I think as a young person, I was always curious about what else is there more. And I I couldn't even tell you where that came from. I think it was I think it was innate that basically I had this knowing that there was more, probably more to life than we could see, but I really didn't do anything about it. I just always knew that it was there. But as far as as growing up and my childhood, it was very normal. It was very very lovely. And I was, you know, I was a really happy child. And 
I am still lucky that I have both my parents today and they are both so unbelievably supportive. So it was, it was beautiful. You talked about in your answer there that you knew that there was something bigger. Yeah. What was it that gave you that impression? Was it a feeling? Was it a sense? Was it something magical or mystical that you identified with as a young girl? Yeah. So really it was just that knowing you know, when we have a knowing, we we know that there is something more to life. And I just always, I had that feeling, not to the extent where I'm at now, where I've obviously learned so much about it, but I had, I had this innate knowing that I was curious about what happened when we die and I never feared death. I always... I always wondered about what was, what was, was there something watching us? Why are we here? You know, really philosophical questions. They were something that always, that I pondered a lot. I never lost sleep over them, but I pondered them a lot. And I never took things at face value. I was never, I've never been one of those people that go with the grain. So I was never outwardly different, but I was always really curious. And in those times of being curious, I led my own discovery of what 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 else could there be. And I feel having that and knowing that has probably led me to the place I'm at now where I always look for answers, but I don't always go for the answer that's put in front of me. I seek different opinions and and that's something I did a lot when I was young. I I understood my own truth and what I believed in, but I always seek to know what else there could be. So so yeah, it was it was an innate knowing that I knew that there was something there was something more to life and I think when I was young I just it was just something that I always thought and I really didn't talk about it with people but then when I was about 17 or so I had just left school and I really wanted to study into look more into spirituality and I am being Jewish. I wanted to know more about the Kabbalah because that is the spiritual side of the Jewish mysticism. And so I found a teacher who I've actually interviewed on the podcast, Rabbi Label Wolf, who is, you know, one of the most phenomenal Kabbalah teachers. And I used to sit with him in his kitchen and we would go through different areas of the Kabbalah text and he would teach me all about them. And I've got to remember, I was by no means religious. I didn't grow up in a religious family. I, w- I, I went to a school that was non-denominational. There was like religion was something that we, like I loved, but it wasn't something that was thrown on me and that I, I seeked in a really deep way. So it's to then go into studying the mysticism of the Kabbalah, I felt I did that because I wanted to. Nothing was ever forced on me. And it was these discussions him and I would have at his kitchen table about the esoterical parts of life that just filled me with so much joy and happiness. And again, something that I kept pondering and thinking about. And it probably lay dormant for 10 years or so when I rediscovered it again. You talked about the fact that you knew your truth from an early age. What was it? Well, I think I, it takes a while to grow into the person that you want to be. So from a young age, you, you go through that stage where you're, you're looking at your peers and you're looking at the people around you and you're, and you're finding your feet. But then I always knew, Wayne, that I always knew that I wanted to be in entertainment. That was something I knew from a young age. And I also knew that I was 
really good at speaking to people and really good at listening to people. So I was that type of person where I would always have people come to me and tell me their problems, but not in a way that I got bogged down, in a way that I felt like that is such a beautiful thing that people trust me enough to come and tell me things that are really bothering them or things that are quite secretive to other people in their lives. But, you know, I might not even know these people very well, or I may have just met them. And I was that person that people always confided in. And so I knew then that there was there was a sense of truth to me and a sense of, I had a way about me that maybe was a little bit different to other people. And that led me to feel really comfortable within myself and, and who I was. And it's funny because as time developed, you know, I went into different fields, but I always kind of knew, like, I want to be, I want to be in that area where I can, I didn't know that I wanted to interview people, but I knew that I wanted to be in entertainment and I was a producer and I'm still a producer. I have been for many years, but I also knew that I was very good at storytelling and I was good at being able to help people tell their own stories because that's what people had done with me for so many years. And then when a life of greatness came about, which was, I worked in breakfast radio for for a while and, I mean, it was just, it was hideous conditions in the fact that we were up at 3am or around that time coming into the studio and, and um, I had two very young kids at the time and it was just... It was the energy was off and it wasn't a great working environment to be in. And I talk a lot about the dark night of the soul on a life of greatness. And for me, that was that was a real dark night of the soul. There were people around me that was suffering and I was suffering. And it was, I mean, words don't give justice on and on the trauma that we experienced whilst whilst we were there. And it I, I wouldn't take it back. I'll never forget this. I had the flu. I'd caught it off one of my dear friends who sat next to me at work and I was at home and I remember thinking, I remember looking out the window and it was like a cold Melbourne morning freezing and I was sad and I was just looking up at the sky and the beautiful trees, you know, bare leaves and thinking there must be more to life than this and knowing there must be more to life than this. And it was at that moment where I thought to myself, it's either I can go on like this, miserable, or I can change something within myself. And I, I knew I'd have, I've always been a go-getter when it comes to if anything is wrong, then I take action straight away. And I think that's been something, a, a real key strength of mine. And I thought, right, I need to I need to discover more. I need to give myself a sense of purpose because at the moment this seems to be really mundane and it doesn't seem to be what is giving me any joy. So then I leapt into reading every self-improvement book you could find and I was a moth to a flame. Like I started, I, I had a mentor and he started teaching me about the law of attraction as well as all these other wonderful things that I would ask him about, really, really deep and and full of wisdom this man was and um, or is, and we, that combined with my own learnings, I just, I, I just ran with it. And I, the thing is, which I think a lot of people can read things and take it in, but I was practicing them. I completely changed my way of being. And I remember, I remember learning a lot about the mind-body connection and how if we have thoughts that are negative, how do we change that? How do we interrupt them with positive ones? And for the first time, I think 
like anything, well, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. And I just, I just started learning. Like it, it was, I, w- I was, everything I was reading, I would put into practice. So I started changing my thought patterns. I started deep diving into meditation and I'd, I'd dabbled in meditation before, but it was like, oh, this isn't working. Oh, I'm doing a body scan and my brain's going hundred miles an hour and I walk away and I feel the same. But for some reason, I was finding things that absolutely fit with me and I was running with it. I was doing meditations that were deep and beautiful. I started to learn about visualization. So I started practicing that within my meditation every morning. I started deeply studying people in my life that were either people that entertainers that I worked with and how had they achieved greatness and, and what made them so happy to Holocaust survivors and how come some of them walked away happier people today than a lot of us day to day live in our lives. And there was also looking back at, at, at people that had just achieved amazing things, thought leaders, New York Times bestselling authors, everyone. And I, I realised that there was almost a blueprint to this greatness. There was, okay, there are things that they're saying in different ways that are enabling them to have the greatest life. Well, why wouldn't I try that on myself. I've already been trying it out and I could see that it was working because my life went from being so so sad and so miserable to within a couple of months of me doing this sort of work, absolutely just changing in the most phenomenal way. So there is no part of me that says that that wasn't supposed to happen. Like I know that moment of working in that job happened because it led me to where I am now. And I thank God for that moment every single day because it absolutely changed my life. And then obviously I started in the podcasting arm of our business, which was and has been a phenomenal part of my journey. And the idea of a life of greatness came to me and it was a no-brainer. Why wouldn't I teach people what I've learned, which then developed into even more of my own learnings. I mean, as you would know, when you interview people, you learn so much from them. So that to me has given me so much beauty and being able to then really dive in deep to the practices that I'm learning and practices that I already know and telling people about them has just filled me with so much love and grace. It's been, it's just been the biggest blessing. There's quite a bit in what you've just shared there. And, and thank you for being so authentic in your answers. There's a few things that I just, a, a couple of observations, but a couple of things I'm keen to get to unpack with you a little bit more. The universe works in a mysterious way. And, and, and this is coming from somebody that once upon a time wasn't open to this way of thinking. I'm yeah. talking about myself here. But I've seen so many examples in my own life and the life of other people that's in line with what you said, that there is something much bigger. It's entirely up to you or I or anyone else whether or not they're open to that and they want to believe that. Yeah. But from my position and what I'm hearing, I think we're both coming from the same position. Yes. We're, we're, we're a small part of something quite big. Absolutely. And the teacher will present when we're ready, not when we want it, yes. but when we're ready. I get a real sense, and I've never met your parents, but I get a real sense that you had this liberating freedom as a young girl. I did. To explore, to question, to challenge without necessarily knowing the answers. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to um, to hear because it gave you permission to follow, to dream, to think, yeah. to try and understand. 
And, um, you know, as a young girl, I know that I was the complete opposite, but you talked about that you'd never been scared of death. I can remember times as a young boy trying to go to sleep, absolutely petrified of it. Really? I'm not not scared of it anymore. Yeah. But for a lot of people, they are. So I I think that's testament to, obviously, your inquisitive nature, but also the home environment that you were growing up in. You also strike me as someone that has this insatiable appetite for curiosity because you continue to search, you continue to explore, you continue to look at different things and who else can I learn of, which I think is is really empowering. Um, and and I, I, I just, I think consistently what I hear, what I've learned and what I see, as difficult as our challenges are, the dark of the... Dark night, dark of, night the of the soul. The uncomfortable moments in our life, I call it waiting through the shit. If we don't go through those those moments, yeah. those periods, those challenges, we won't grow. Well, Eckhart Tolle says it beautifully. You go through that suffering for the ego to stand to the side and for you to realise in the non-egoic sense that you're able to rise again. And that rising is just, it's it can be so prolific. But to think that we as humans will never have suffering, I mean, that's... That, it's irrational. Yeah, absolutely. With the benefit of growing up and maturing, if we can embrace that, life becomes infinitely better because we see the opportunity in what's currently in front of us. And it may be difficult, it may be hard, and it might be painful. But through persistence and perseverance mm. and effort and investment, we do come through it. Oh, for And sure. we come through it a different, better, more holistic Yes version of ourselves. It's like a snake shedding its skin. Yeah. And I think in life, I talk about this a lot and have been a lot recently, is stepping into the unknown. When we step into the unknown, we step into the field of possibilities. Mm. When we're in the known, we're in those worn out, worn out memories of the past. So the known is the same thing every day. And then we say to ourselves, why isn't my life changing? This is boring but I'm too scared to leave my job because I really need the money, so I'm going to p- complain every day, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And people find the unknown challenging, but when you step into it, you're able to then experience everything that that life has to offer. And just recently, I mean, most people that listen to the podcast know that I'm Hamish and Andy's executive producer and have been for three and a half years, and it has been the most wonderful three and a half years And I made a decision last year that at the end of last year, I I saw that the podcast had been doing very well. It had been just shy of two years at that stage and that I wanted to build this idea of the podcast and being able to help more people doing all this other work on greatness and all these different ideas I had. But I, I got to this point where I had absolutely no time. So I was doing my job and really besides doing the podcast, there was like no time outside of that. So I thought, I'm going to have to give up this role with Hamish and Andy to be able to do the other things that I want to do. It can be a really daunting thing, giving up something that is everyone else's dream job. And so I said to the boys a few months ago that I was going to leave them. And it was one of the most heartbreaking moments of my life because I was giving up something that was good for something greater. But at the same time, I practice what I preach. And for one door, for a door to open, sometimes we have to close other doors. And 
One of the things I always say at the end of my meditation, I ask the divine, you know, please close the doors I'm not supposed to walk through and open the ones that, that I am supposed to walk through and let's walk through them together. I, I have always, I don't think I was a big risk taker, but now I'm all about, I wouldn't even call it risk. I'm about exploring and, and pushing myself as far as I, as I possibly can to be able to achieve greatness in my life. There's a level of vulnerability in making certain decisions because we yeah. go from the comfort of surety and security to the unknown. Yes. And it is a vulnerable situation to find yourself in. But when you're prepared to find the courage to make those decisions, you then open up this opportunity of further development and, Absolutely. and further growth, but yeah. also not just in the work that you're doing, but in the way that you develop your own level of self, self-esteem and self-confidence. Mm. Because for a lot of people, we're limited by the expectations that are placed on us, but also the expectations that we place on ourselves. Yes. And if we think rationally, this is what I'd like to do, but if I do that, then there's risk, it may not work, what happens if it fails? I think it's easier to default, default to, I'll play it safe. Yeah. Whereas the beautiful possibility of, something that we never thought was possible or capable of presents itself. So if you don't make those decisions, you'll never know. Yes. And failure is part of the journey. We will fail. Yeah. We will make mistakes. It'll go horribly wrong. Yeah. But hopefully through that process, we can still sit there and dust ourselves off and go, you know what? I've learned from that. Now I've got more insight to make different decisions and continue to move forward. For sure. And, you know, as esoterical as this sounds... Wayne, I know that I'm always being divinely guided. There is not one iota of me that doesn't ever think that or realise that. And even when things go to shit (laughs) and I'm like, what is going on here? I know that everything happens for a reason and there are lessons that we're supposed to be learning and uh, my faith in the unknown and my faith in the divine is unwavering. And I have learned that through so many people that I interview that I admire, but I've learned that from my own existence as well. And I think when you have that, then you're able to take those bigger leaps because you, you're not worried about being an individual. You know that we're all part of this conglomerate. We are all one. There is no separation. And that is how I look at myself as a vehicle for the divine to be able to achieve greatness in the world and help other people whilst doing it. So you you, you mentioned the, your faith in the divine and the guidance, but what about the faith in yourself? Oh, I have absolute faith in myself. Absolute faith in myself. When I talk about the divine, I say that within me. So we have everyone has it within them and it's in me as much as it's in you as it is the person begging on the street. And I truly believe that we're here to achieve good things and when your heart's in the right place and you have that get up and drive and go and you have your values set out correctly and all the other bits and pieces that make us all magical, then you're going to be okay. How does it feel living a life following your purpose? Or, oh. living, or living out your purpose. Can I tell you, it goes back to, you know, being a producer for many years, being in this amazing role, producing these fabulous shows. I've produced so many wonderful shows and that's so good. So I could have been content with that. Then 
I started doing a life of greatness and I had no idea how that was going to go. I had an innate knowing it would go well. I did. I knew that for something within me knew that. But when I got onto that, that was another level of, of, of beauty and love and wonder. And that's why I made the decision I have to move more towards that path. Because if I think about what my soul's journey is, it's to help other people. And I'm helping other people by producing, don't get me wrong, but I can help so many more people by doing this. I get so many letters and emails and messages from people telling me how the podcast has changed their life. I I remember getting this one email from a lady and she had just had this awful time the last six months and she'd said that it was in the height of Melbourne lockdown, so she was struggling with that. Someone close to her had passed away and she had just had a newborn baby. And so she said she was just so lonely and she just felt she just felt broken and she would have to wake up in the middle of the night to feed this baby a couple of times a night. And she said, and I would sit there feeding the baby, mourning the loss of the person in my life that had died, as well as being in Melbourne lockdown. And I'd sit there and I'd listen to your podcast. And she said, that, Sarah, is the thing that got me through. That is the thing that got me up when all I wanted to do was sleep and I had to feed my baby and that got me through and I can't thank you enough from that enough for that. And I think I get so many emails and messages from people like that where they're so honest and they're true and they're telling me how much I affected their life. I'm going to devote my life to that. I mean, that feeling, and I know you know, is more to me than anything else. If I can be a vehicle of hope and and wisdom for these people i mean my job my my job's done that that to to be able to give that to people to me is the most fulfilling thing i think anyone could ask for yeah i feel like we're on similar paths i mean we we've service of others is a, a focus of yeah. of ours um in different ways but still it's the service of others yeah. it's interesting because I'm I'm living my purpose too, as, as you know, in the work of mental health and suicide prevention. When you, if you're lucky enough to identify your true purpose and then live out that purpose in the service of other people, yeah, there's this really beautiful alignment from a, a individual, a physical, spiritual, emotional mm. perspective. It just feels right. This is where I'm meant to be. And what I mean by that is, you know, for a long time, I thought my purpose in life was to play elite sport. Yes. And that was my job. And that was my identity. But what I've since learnt, having retired 20 years ago and done a lot of reflection and a lot of hard work, is that that was the vehicle to give me the opportunity to move in another direction now. Yeah. And it's, it's hard sometimes. Because you wonder, I don't know about you, but this is my experience, is anyone listening? Am I making any difference? But then you get the letters from your listening community to say thank you. And I don't think that we, I don't, I'm assuming this, but you you don't do it for thank yous. Oh, absolutely You do it because this is what you want to do and that's your purpose. But when you get those reminders or those messages from people, it just nourishes your soul. I'm making a difference. What else can I do to help other people? And I think... I think we're part of a small percentage of people globally that are in the privileged position 
of having a positive impact on other people's lives. I wish everybody in the world could find something that they are incredibly passionate about yes. in order to have that positive, lasting impact on other people's lives because, you know what, you can play any sport, you can have any amount of money, you can be the richest or the poorest person in the world. There is no greater satisfaction knowing that you've had a positive impact on another person's life. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why I talk about it so much in the podcast. And the fact is, like, you don't even have to be in a position that you and I are in. I mean, we're both in the media. You can be a mother and have that impact on people and that be your sole job and just be wonderful at doing that. And I think when you really find what your gifts are and use them to the best of your ability, then you know that your life is just going to be one of pure bliss. I mean, Wayne Dyer, one of my most beloved spiritual teachers who passed away a few years ago, always said, don't die with your music still inside of you. And I just think that's so true. And when I found where my music was, I've been able to to give that to so many people and that's what makes me so truly happy. Mm, you bring up, an, uh, I, I'm a massive fan of Wayne Dyer's. Yeah. Louise Hay. Yes. Um, Eckhart Tolle, all, all of these people. You, you, you've been fortunate enough to talk to a lot of yeah. these people. But what, what I find interesting is people that have gone through, through some incredibly traumatic life experiences yet have turned those experiences into the gift of servicing other people is mind-blowing. Yes. And, and, and the, the willingness to share, engage, communicate, storytell continues. I mean, Wayne died tragic passed away, mm. but his legacy continues to live on. And, and in some respects, you've taken the baton and you're continuing some of his work with your own work now. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's the most exhilarating thing. I mean, I... Do you sit back sometimes, sorry to interrupt, do you no. sit back sometimes and go, <laughs> how did this happen? I'm here <laughs> doing this. Do you stop every now and again and just give yourself permission just to sit back and acknowledge I don't do it enough, but there are times where I'll finish an interview with someone and I will sit there and I'll think, oh my <laughs> God, that was incredible and I am elevated like there is no tomorrow. And I think to myself, what a privilege. There is not one moment of my life where I don't think what a privilege it is to be in this position. I do not take it for granted. I am feel so, so blessed to be where I am, but I've no, I also know I've created that for mm-hmm, myself. Mm-hmm. So it's not luck. I've never believed in luck. I've created this for me and everyone can create their own greatness. I'm not different to anyone else. Everyone has the tools and the ability to create a beautiful life for themselves. It's, it is truly possible. So I am, I feel blessed. And you know, there are things that get me down for sure. And some things get me down more than others. But I also have learned the tools to be able to get myself out of those things really fast. And I remember someone that I interviewed, Joe Dispenza, he said, you know, of course he has bad days too, but he moves past them faster. And I feel that I'm the same. There are days where I feel over it uh, or upset about something that's occurred, but I can shift through that really fast now. Whilst back in the old days, it may have taken me weeks, it may have taken me months. So I feel... I feel like everything that I've learned and I put into practice has really changed my life. And I think that's also what people are drawn to me about and I get a lot of messages about is that I really do practice what I preach. I really do. And that's to me is very important because 
I believe that I want to be as authentic as I can and as vulnerable as I can and just share the truth with people because that is very important to me. Well, I think if we don't, we run the risk of being hypocrites, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested to understand, it's a little loaded, this question, but is part of your reason to create a life of greatness because you get the opportunity of learning from the people that you're interviewing, not just sharing those conversations with your community that are listening to your episodes, but also what you can learn out of it? Oh, for sure. I learn so much out of it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm. people always say to me, God, you ask these questions that I really wanted to know the answers. And I'm like, yeah, because I really wanted to know the answers as well. So I know my audience so well now. They communicate a lot with me. I have a beautiful community of people uh, and I am constantly learning and asking questions that I want to know the answers to. And then I'm practicing what a lot of them have to say. And I I think the thing is that I teach everyone is that they must always learn, but don't just learn from one person. Learn from a range of different people from all walks of life. And I think that's what makes the podcast so interesting and has been and so successful is the fact that there's such a range of different people because I am curious about every different area of life and how we can use that to make our lives great. So I think that's really important when people maybe don't get stuck on one author or one way of teaching. Even with meditation, I've done that. I've learned all different types of meditation and I use for me what I feel is best, but I'm able to then teach people my learnings too. What was your vision with A Life of Greatness at the beginning and is it still the same vision today a couple of years down the track? My vision, it is It is actually the same. I mean, it changes here and there, like as in the formula of my questions and things shift a bit But as far as just allowing people, giving people the information to allow them to lead the best life possible has not changed at all. It's so simple. It's so simple. And I think now there are different aspects of people that I look into more so than I had before or different uh, people from different walks of life. So I make it really interesting as far as the different people that I choose to come on the podcast, but as far as the vision, that has completely stayed the same and it's been a blueprint to work. And the vision for people that may not know of your podcast is? Is how they they can achieve greatness in their life and the way these New York Times bestselling authors, entertainers, people from all walks of life that have achieved great things, how have they achieved it and we really go into their stories and any practices that they've learned, any books that they have, that they uh, have beautiful wisdom within. It's about taking things from them and giving it to my listeners so that they too can have the most magnificent life. I don't know if you can answer this question, Sarah, but what has been the biggest lesson that you've learnt through this journey by interviewing other people? Yes. So I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is that everything happens in divine timing. So I'm one of those people that wants everything straight away. My patience (laughs) has not been one of my strong suits. So when I want things, I want them now. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So basically I have learned about divine timing and I've seen a lot of things because I look into all different things and why this is happening and, and explore the reasons behind it. And sometimes when things haven't happened on my time, yet they happen a bit later, I'm like, ah, I got it. 
I understand why that took a little bit more time and I'm so happy it did. So just trusting in that divine timing, that to me has been something that I am very much still learning but have gotten better with. Well, it talks about the fact that we're only a part player in the whole scheme of things, mm, though, doesn't it? Yes. And it will happen when it's ready. Yes. And potentially when we're ready. Yeah. How you've, well, we've talked about this. We've known each other for a couple of years now and, and you've and continue to interview some unbelievable people. Yes. At an international level. And, and I think that's testament to you and the work that you've done. But how do you establish rapport and trust with your guests so quickly where they're willing to share with you some unbelievable insights and experiences, considering that you're living in another country and yeah. time zones are different and you've never met face-to-face before? Yeah, it's funny that you say that because a lot of people always say to me, like, how do you over Zoom build such a rapport and I'm so used to, I mean, this is the first face-to-face interview I've done <laughs> yeah. in like a year and a half. Feels a it's, little weird, right? It totally <laughs> feels weird. I'm used to looking at someone over Zoom. So like Zoom is like my best friend. Yeah. So I feel absolutely comfortable. But the way that I build rapport, and I think this is, again, it goes back to when I was young, is the fact that people have always trusted me and I don't know what it is about me or my way of being where it's just I can talk to people for a couple of minutes and build a rapport of them. It, it's absolutely innate and I don't have any tricks of the trade where I just have normal discussions with people and I'm I'm down to earth mm. and I just get along with people quite naturally. So when I'm meeting people, I'm able to build that rapport usually straight away. So it's easy. And then especially the sorts of questions I, I ask people, they're not confrontational and I do it in a way where it's 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 easy and it's sensitive and I build up to asking the harder questions if that needs to be asked and I I respect their answers. I don't talk over them. I listen and I think listening is probably the biggest thing because that is an absolute art that any of us, you don't have to be an interviewer to be able to use that in your everyday life. If you can sit and just listen to people without saying anything, that is the biggest gift. I can't recall a short conversation with you. <laughs> Whether it be They never are. No. This is the whole point though. Yeah. Um there's a connection. From my perspective, what's very evident is there's a level of authenticity. Mm. You are who you are. Um there's no there's no bullshit which I think feeds itself into the fact that we can, I mean, yes. we've, we've talked a lot. Well, we've talked so much. In the studio, out of the studio, yeah. on the phone, yeah. Instagram, whatever it might be. Yeah. Because I think when you, and, and we said this in the lead up mm. to the conversation, um, you know, th- there's this, when you find like-minded people. Mm. Gravitate. You know straight away. And I would assume that your ability to get some of these internationally recognised yes. people, global leaders, is due to the fact that that's the way you live. It's funny you say that because now it's just bringing so much more of my past back and the thing that people have always said to me is you're so unbelievably authentic and I, Hamish and Andy, they're like, Sarah, you just tell it how it is and that's what we absolutely <laughs> love about you. But I, I, I was always taught to tell my truth with kindness and that's what I, I, I don't know any other way. So mm. I don't put it on, I just... I say what I feel and I also, as I've become older, I'm so expressive of how I feel, as you are. You are <laughs> like the number one person as far as it comes to being expressive and and I 
I, I had a friend that passed away a couple of days ago and I thought to myself, God, did I tell him I loved him? Because I loved him and I wish that I had told him more, but I think he knew that I did care about him so much and I tell my kids how much I love them. I tell my friends how much I love them. I get off the phone to them telling them how much I love them. They tell me the same thing. And I think when I interview people, like I remember I interviewed Matthew McConaughey. As soon as the interview finished, I got this amazing, beautiful email from his manager saying, Sarah, Matthew just got off the phone to Matthew. He was in capitals, blown away by you. Well done. And it was because I was just normal. I don't gaga over people either because I just don't look upon people as being any more special than each other. So you and I are the same. Matthew McConaughey and I are the same. The beggar down the street is the same to me. I, I don't look at put I don't put people on pedestals. I think that's one thing as well. I'm I am authentic because I interview people that people will say, Oh my god, I can't believe you interviewed them. To me, it's just like interviewing anyone else. I don't I don't look upon people as being special people and I am just absolutely authentic and a lot of the time I am just so curious. So I'll ask them the questions that maybe some people won't ask because my mind's just always curious to wonder what were they thinking at that time? Why did they do that? How did that affect them? I want to know because when they're telling me the story, I'm playing the story out in my head and wondering how they were when they got to that point. And it just becomes, my interviews become these beautiful conversations full of this amazing narrative. And it just becomes this construction of this person's life and what they've achieved. And there's so much beauty in that. So then when we get off the the doing the interview, it's like I see so many of them go, wow, that was amazing. And I'm thinking, yeah, I thought it was amazing as well. <laughs> I allowed you to just talk about your life. Yeah. I mean, how wonderful is that? And again, it goes back to like what a privilege it is to be able to sit and listen to people's experiences and journeys about their life. I mean, I remember I interviewed one of my grandma's friends who was a Holocaust survivor. She's 90. And I sat with her for hours listening to her stories and in absolute just wonder of this woman and what she'd been through. And as soon as we finished, I thought, what an absolute privilege it is to tell your story. I mean, the fact that I was given that opportunity was just, just blew me away. And I felt that I was always going to, to make that, make that beautiful lady proud. Well, it is a gift though. Yeah. Because people are trusting you with the opportunity of sharing their story with you. Yes, absolutely. You, you, you mentioned something in your answer there, which comes into my wheelhouse the work that I do. And I, I just want to ask you the question. You, you mentioned that you lost a friend recently. Yes. How are you coping with that Oh, loss? sad, mm. sad, very sad. Mm. I was and I, ho- of, I hope you don't mind me asking No, no, question. no, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. I mean, death to me, like I said, it's never been a scary thing. But when you lose someone close to you, it's just you've lost someone that you love. So I'm, it's sad. It's really sad. But I'm also so open with my emotions. I've cried so much. I've got to hug so many of my colleagues who were good friends with him and think, you know, your mind goes back to all the good times that you had together and we had so many good times together and he, I mean, he's so charismatic and made me laugh so much and I think about all those times and a couple of us were reminiscing the other day about him and 
that just made me so happy. And then I think I I don't I was saying this to someone this morning. I was getting my son ready for school, and my my darling son's only eight, and he's just oh, the most divine human you've ever met. And um, I was talking to him and kissing him and just mucking around with him as he was getting dressed. And there was this moment where I thought to myself, you know, my friend that my friend was that age, and that his mum, like I started thinking of his mum, and I was like, his mum's lost a son and he, the mum would have had him at eight and that's just so sad. Like what, like you start thinking of like what if that was my son and mm. and it's just, you know, these tragic, awful feelings. And so, you know, you move through all these things but at the same time I also know I just recently interviewed Gary Zukov who is one of the greatest spiritual teachers of our time and I said to Gary, "What when people die, like how do you deal with that and what do you say to them? He says... It's so easy to say, I'm sorry, or my cousin died as well, and I understand. And But I say, wow, that's wonderful. What a celebration of their life. And now their soul's home, their soul's back home. And I try not to go down to that level of making them feel a certain way. Rather, I look upon it as a celebration. So that's been playing in my head a lot too. So yeah, we move through things differently and mm. and it's a it's a massive loss. And he was one of the the greatest producers I think I've ever worked with. So I feel privileged mm. that I was able to work with him and 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 learn so much from that beautiful man. Yeah, it's just such a complete process of life that when someone passes, yeah, that's it. There's no future opportunities. There's no going back, and it it it, it reinforces the fact that. We, we, we only have a limited time. Mm. And, you know, you mentioned that you tell a lot of people in your life that you love them. I lost a great mate, mm. Danny Frawley. Yes. Three years ago. Uh, 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 through that two-week period of, of coming to terms with it and grieving and, and working through that process, I wrote six men in my life very long messages and they are the six most influential men in, in my life. My dad, my chairman, who's also my mentor, um, and my four closest male friends. And I made a decision off the back of that loss. I want these men to know how much they mean to me and how much I love them. And I tell them regularly. And one of those people is my doctor, who you know. Yes. The great Harry Younglick. Uh, I was with Harry last week and he's been my GP for 35 years. Yeah. And at the end of the consult, we stood up. And I just looked him in the eyes and I said, I love you and I love you dearly. <laughs> so beautiful. And Harry gets all nervous. And, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah I, nervous. Know, I know, I know. Yeah. And I said, no, I don't want you to be nervous. Yeah. I actually love you. And I'm going to continue to tell you how much I love you because of the role that yes. you've played in my yes. life. And I just think it's such an important thing that we can not only give other people. Yeah we're actually giving ourselves that enriches oh, our life in so many different ways. Absolutely. And you look upon the lens, there are two things to look at the world with love and fear. They're the two emotions that drive everything. And I was telling my boss, I tell him, not regularly, but I tell him here and there that I love him. It's so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> He's so awkward when I tell him that. I said, I just want to tell you that I love you. And he just looks at me and smiles and he knows, he knows that I absolutely adore him. But the same that you have, Harry, your doctor, I have him and I adore 
everything that he's done for me. And I, and I truly love him I, I, as I love the people I interview, as I love my friends, as I love my family. Why it's, can't we love the people that we're engaging with, whether exactly. it's a professional relationship or it's a personal one? Absolutely. And I think no one is going to get upset if you tell them that you love them. It's when you are not able, time falls away and then tragedies happen where you think, I wish I had told them that I loved them more. I mean, love is love is what makes the world go round. And if more people worked from their heart rather than their ego, then, I mean, this world would be just purely magical. Big question. Don't know if you've got the answer. How do we replace fear with more love? I think we just look through everything we do with that lens. I mean, there's, again, it goes back to just knowing that emotions and a lot of ego comes through fear. And if we stop trying to protect ourselves and looking at ourselves as being individuals rather than a collective, I mean, we are a collective of people that should be working seamlessly. And and it's when we go, oh, no, I'm in scarcity, and then you start working from fear or, oh, no, if you've got that, Wayne, then I can't get that. And then you become fearful and then it's every man out for themselves. We're not working in that oneness, in that beautiful field. And I try at every moment to know we're in this together. And you know the, the most interesting thing when you were talking about the love, it was making me think, as soon as I started living my life through the lens of love, I can't tell you how much love that I receive. I am so blessed with the amount of people in my life that love me and tell me they love me. And it's not just friends and family. It's just people I meet daily or people in my community. I feel that I am so loved. I I mean, how wonderful is that? And I feel that when you give out, you receive. You don't give out to receive, but it is the domino effect of, of putting good into the world. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because um, I, I can I can I that I connect with that mm. because when you live an authentic life according to you and you live your truth, what you actually do by extension is you're inviting other people yes. to begin to come into that space. And what I mean by that is because I show love and I'm not afraid to be vulnerable and I'm a male, obviously, and I'm prepared to cry and communicate and ask for help yeah. and live my life a certain way, which is not limited because of fear. I've overcome that and thought this is how I'd like to live my life. Yeah. What I've noticed is other people in my life, including men, have started to come into that same space. Yeah. And that's a really powerful, beautiful liberating experience to be part of and witness that simply because you're being true to yourself, mm. you're actually giving other people the same opportunity to be true to themselves. Absolutely. That has a profoundly positive impact on other oh, people's lives. Profoundly. Yeah. It goes back to that whole idea again of being authentic and being truthful and why do people open up to me? Because I sit there and I listen and I give them the space and I take my ego out of the equation and it's me and I'm just... I don't even realise, but I'm I'm projecting love to them. And when you do that, it is that domino effect of it coming straight back to you and then you end up having these beautiful conversations, which then leads you to feel so enriched. 
I mean, even before I started to interview people on the podcast, I just would generally have such beautiful conversations with be it a work colleague, be it someone that I was at my kid's school or whoever else. I remember I was at the hairdresser the other day. There was a woman sitting opposite me who I, I kind of knew not that well and we were just talking for quite a while and I left to get my hair washed and she goes, God, that was a really good conversation. And I'm thinking to myself, it was a beautiful conversation, but I have these conversations daily, these in-depth, beautiful conversations. And I mean, how how privileged am I to get into the hearts and minds of just so many people? I And everyone can do that if they allow themselves to open their ears and just listen. Yeah, I think listening to that um, story there, Sarah, um, reminds me, uh, for, for a lot of people, we're having superficial conversations. Mm. We're operating at a very superficial level. Yeah. That could be underpinned by fear or the worry about what will people think, what yeah. will they say. Yeah, being vulnerable. Yeah, correct. But but your life is so much richer mm. when you're able to sit in that space of just having real authentic discussions. It's beautiful. Because you connect Yes. at a much deeper level. Yeah. And the thing that I... I, I constantly think about but also challenge people to think about in, in my line of work is when when we're prepared to strip back the layers mm. a bit, you know, we might work with each other for 15 years and I make an assumption based on who I think Sarah Grinberg is yeah. because of the small window that you let me look through. What we don't see is everything that makes up the life journey of an individual. But if we're prepared to come together at a deeper level with no judgment, no criticism, just a willingness to explore and learn and understand, the relationship develops at a really deep, deep level where you connect with another person. And I'm the same as you. I love the people I work with. They're my staff, but I love them. I care about them. I look out for them. I support them. I encourage them. And I love them in a sense, which is a professional Mm. relationship. Yeah. But I go to work and I, I love the people that I work with. Hey, I love you today. I, mean, what, I love you today. If I haven't told you, thing. I love you. But it is. Yes. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I wish everybody was prepared to open themselves up to that possibility. Well, I think you just said something which I do every day is it's the non judgment and it can be hard. And the Course in Miracles says, I will judge nothing that occurs today. And that's something I try and say to myself if, if I get through a whole day without doing it. Hallelujah. <laughs> but it's very hard. But at the same time, knowing that, that that is going to be an intention that I set for myself, I will judge nothing that occurs today. And the Course in Miracles also says that every meeting is a holy meeting, be it the barista, be it the janitor, be it the manager of your business, whoever. If you look at every meeting as being a holy meeting and give it love and take judgment out of the equation, it is going to be truly beautiful. Why do you think we're on this earth? I believe that we, and this is obviously just my opinion, I mean, who really, no one has the the real answer, but I believe that we come from source, the divine, we come from oneness and we're brought into the duality and we're put on this earth as duality. We've got egos and we all have lessons that we're supposed to learn and the life journey is learning different things along the way and everyone's path's different. But I think the idea is to try and get back into that oneness and if we're able to achieve that in our life, in the earthly plane, 
then that's a phenomenal thing. But I think it really, we go from being in that oneness to that duality and seeing ourselves as separate. And then I, I really do, I believe it's about about trying to get back into that state of love, what we're talking about, and get back into that oneness and and let go of scarcity and let go of people being separate to us, let go of the ego, let go of jealousy and come back into that pure state. I, I truly believe that's that's the reason we're on this earth, to help one another as well. It's a beautiful answer. Thank you. Talking about answers, some of your listening community have uh, sent some questions through, which I'd actually like to ask on their behalf. Yes. And you can answer. So Dave would like to know if you have a morning ritual. I do have a morning ritual. So I get up and I I get up and either whilst I'm in bed, I'll say a prayer to myself or whilst I go into my meditation chair, I'll say the prayer and then I go into some sort of meditation that I want to be doing. There's a one that I do a lot that has quite a bit of a visualisation um, aspect to it and I do that where I visualise things that I want to achieve, dreams and and desires that I want to come into my life. So it's kind of a manifestation meditation. I do that a lot. And in that bit afterwards, uh, I'll lie down and that's when it then comes, it, it kind of then comes within your body and you're lying there. And I'll say a few other prayers that I kind of talked about before about opening the doors that I want to walk through and closing the ones that are not meant for me anymore. And then I'm, a couple of times a week, I'll do some sort of physical activity. I don't do it every day by any means. I Yeah, I do it probably less than I would like to, but a couple of days a week, I'll I'll do some sort of physical activity. And then it's not till after that where I'll turn my phone on and start doing bits and pieces. But that really would be my morning, my morning routine. Sonia would like to know if you've ever experienced low self-esteem. That's a great question. I don't think I've ever experienced low self-esteem, but, you know, everyone struggles with their self-esteem from time to time. I feel that I always got along with people very well and I always felt quite comfortable within myself. So I was fortunate with that. And then especially now I feel so unbelievably comfortable in who I am that my self-esteem gets higher and higher because I live my truth, what we were talking about, and I'm authentic. And I think when you are those things, then you don't need to worry about your self-esteem because you're just being true to who you are. It's when we're we're living outside of our true nature and we are not living an authentic life that I think the self-esteem starts to waver a bit because we're living not really in the way that we should be or really what our souls, our soul thrives to be in. Mm. If you're living in a misalignment, you, mm. you, you feel it, you know Oh, it, you, you absolutely do. Yeah. If you're trying to be someone because your parents want you to be that way or you're trying to be a certain way because you want to fit in, your, fit in with your friends, but really you don't think that the values that you're living by or even the words you are saying are true to yourself, you're never going to be happy. Mm. And I feel that I really it goes back to people always liking me because I always said how I felt and I did it with kindness and I never, I always questioned things and I never said things just because it was the way that everyone else was talking. And I think 
I think that's what's allowed me to have the self-esteem that I have. Mm. Nat would like to know, what's been the hardest thing in your life and how did you overcome it? I think... (laughs) It's actually quite funny to (laughs) just be asking these questions and seeing your body reaction and shift in the seat. I mean, it's probably things that we spoke about before being in that role was hard and how did I overcome that was the story about then diving into self-improvement work and really going within and being still and finding myself again. That was probably the most challenging part of my life. And I touched on this, but I hadn't gone, I haven't gone into detail. It, it is when I did find meditation and I know it seems like, oh, meditation, but I found the meditation that I enjoyed and have found heaps of different meditations since. It was, I, Wayne, I used to live my life with so much noise. And when I say noise, it was because I was a producer and I was always needing to know what was happening in the news, what was happening in entertainment, all these sort of things. Because in the morning, that's the first thing, you know, what's going on in this area, what's going on in that area. And I was always just, I was always very much into what's happening in a current affairs and news And I didn't realise at the time that that was actually making me feel really down because if you're watching those sort of things 24-7, then you're just, you know, nothing good is going to come of it. I'd always have the radio on. I'd always have even just music on. There would always be, I could not be alone with my thoughts. And it wasn't like I had any dark thoughts. It was just that I was always loved the noise of the world. I was always talking to people on the phone. I was just go, 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 go. And then when I learned to stop, and take a breath and be silent and be in that stillness. But when I say be in it, like just lose myself in it. It is the best part of my day when I can be by myself in that pure state of absolute bliss where there's nothingness. That to me, that is pure ecstasy. And that changed my life absolutely has changed my life. Do those moments energise you? Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, my experiences in that state have been profound and I I now just absolutely hold on to the silence because in the silence is where all the wisdom lies. Mm. It's interesting when we're when we can find something that gives us the freedom just to sit in that space, the creativity, the oh, ideas, yes. the clarity. Um, Sarah, Sarah would like to know how you manage being a mum, work and looking after yourself. Oh, it's absolutely a juggle, but I manage because I've got a lot of support, um, heaps of people that help me and when you love what you do, you just find a way, don't you? It's just, it becomes... It becomes easy, but I put a lot of my time and energy into the podcast and into my job and, yeah, I find it so unbelievably rewarding. So it's not even like work to me. Hmm. I, I, I hear through the conversation today how you're incredibly grateful and appreciative of the people around you. Mm. And you've just mentioned it again with your answer to um, Sarah's question, but Correct me if I'm wrong here. You also prioritise yourself. Oh, absolutely. You invest into yes. yourself. Yes. And I think this is really important for people to hear from you, given your role and what you do, though, because we do live in a world that is very quick to judge, very quick to tell us that we're being selfish or mm. self-centred. 
And we've had this conversation before. Yeah. It's never been more important that we actually prioritise ourselves. Yes. For ourselves, but for everybody else that we're engaged with. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm always taking time to meditate. And you might think, oh, like, well, that's meditation. But no, I will take a big amount of time to do meditation. If I feel I need to do another meditation, I'll do another meditation. If I feel that I need to go to a wellness retreat or then I will make time to do it. If I, any kind of thing that's to do with making me a better person or having time out, then I will absolutely find that for myself. I I don't let my mental health or my way of being suffer because I know I need to be in top notch physical and mental way of being to be able to give my beauty to the world, to my mm. family, to the people around me. Mm. I love that answer. I think um, I think what I really enjoy and appreciate though also is you cooking up your own recipe, mm. what works for you. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's not a competition. <clears throat> it's not about that works for you, it's not working for me. I think what's really important is we experiment, we play around with, we trial things and find things that work for us. Yes. Just because meditation works for you may not necessarily mean it works for me. Riding a bike works for me may not work for you. What is important is we look to find things which help us. Yes. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's part of the reason why you do what you do. Is it is. Giving it people more to, information yeah. to make more informed decisions about yes. things that they might try. Absolutely. It goes back to that whole idea of like learning through different people, trying out different things, stepping into the unknown and and just seeing what happens because how will you ever know if you don't mm. give give yourself the chances to be able to explore life. I mean, life is so rich, but when we're being so rigid, it, it ne- we never grow as people. We never find out. Do things that you're scared of and see how much that thrills you. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to jump out of a plane, but do stuff that's slightly out of your comfort zone. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? It's never going to be as bad as you think. And if anything, it's a new experience that completely can change the trajectory of your life. All right. Well, you know how your podcast works. We interview the guests. It's a wonderful conversation. And then you would normally finish off with a series of questions that you would ask your guests to contribute. Sarah Grinberg, now it's my turn. What is the most magical or mystical experience that you've had in your life? This is, this is something that happened to me at the start of the year, I think. Yeah. This was amazing. I've had actually quite a few mystical experiences, but this one, this one I remember and it, it blew me away. So I was in a deep meditation one day and, um, and there was a part of the meditation at the end that asks you to, uh, for your mind and your heart to sink into love. And because the meditation had been going, going already for a couple of hours, you're in this really like centered space. So, Basically, I was doing that and next minute I was drawn to when I was born and I was looking at my mum in the hospital bed holding me and my dad was looking at her like over looking at me standing over the bed smiling 
And Wayne, I was filled with the most absolute divine love I think I have ever felt in my life. In that moment, there was no judgment, no nothing. It was the pure, bare feeling of absolute love. And I don't know how long it lasted, if it was a couple of minutes, a couple of seconds, but it was one of the most incredible experiences I think I have ever, ever had. And I just remember coming out of the of that mystical experience and and just being blown away and knowing that that time is not linear. The past, present and future are all happening together. And I know that sounds really full on, but if you listen to the podcast, I've talked about it with many people. And it was like I was taken to something that was happening at that time because it hadn't happened yet. And it was that state of pure love that I was trying to be in and then was taken to, and it was, it was so overwhelmingly beautiful. I, ugh, that was for me the most mystical experience I've ever had. Definitely sounds like the essence of true love. Yeah, yeah. it was beautiful. No yeah. judgment, nothing, just absolute being saturated in love. Mm. I mean, what more could one want? What a beautiful story. Thank you. What has been the biggest lesson which has taken you the longest time to learn in your life? The biggest lesson that has taken me the longest to learn, I think it goes back to that patience that we were talking about, just knowing that you are on your own journey and the clock, the time's not running out and just move at the pace that you're supposed to move at and always strive, but know that things will happen when they're meant to. And I I see that happening in my life as we spoke about when I'll go, oh, now I know what was supposed to happen. But then I'll do say like, why hasn't this happened yet? And hurry up. Um, (laughs) So, you know, as I said, I haven't learned that lesson. I haven't learned it completely yet. I'm still learning it, but I know about it. I acknowledge it and I'm on my way there. Yeah, that's the journey. Yes. Yeah. What's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? Swim in your own lane. <laughs> Swim in your own lane. Don't look at what everyone else is doing around you. Swim in your own lane. And I think that's just, it's, that is just so unbelievably true because when you can do that and just focus on you and how you can do the best for the world and don't worry about what everyone else around you is doing, then that brings you so much grace. And another piece of advice that I've been told on the podcast a couple of times, and it's so true. Don't believe everything you think because a lot of it is just mm. rubbish. So mm. don't believe all your thoughts. A lot of majority of them are not true. Yeah. It's, it's both of those um, bits of advice are very good and yes. quite timely. Um, what's your greatest hope for the society that we're all living in at the moment? My greatest hope is that we can all, we can all wake up to the fact that we're not living in a world of scarcity. And if we work together as one, then we could have such a beautiful, beautiful world. And I think COVID really showed us or is showing us that that division between people was, it's been so hard and tragic on so many accounts and that we need each other. Mm. We aren't, I mean, as much as, 
yeah, I talk about you need to love yourself for sure, but then you must give that love to others and we're here together for a reason. And if if society could realise that and it not be you and me, them and us, and we looked at ourselves as just this big field of of love and working together, then I think our society would be a better place. We'd start being able to look after the planet together. We'd start being able to look after our animals and all the things that makes our life so important and so rich. So, yeah, my greatest hope for society today is that we can go back into that state of oneness and true bliss and love. What is your favourite prayer? It's this beautiful prayer from A Course in Miracles, and I say it when I do the lie-down part of my meditation. I say it in my head every morning. Where will you have me go? What will you have me do? What will you have me say and to whom? Beautiful, beautiful prayer. Guide me on my way for the day. Beautiful way to get your day started too. So beautiful. Final question. What is a life of greatness to you? A life of greatness to me is just being that vehicle of pure light and being used as a tool to allow people to have the best lives that they can have, share my wisdom, share my life, share all the tools that I have learned to make them great, be of service. That to me is a is a true life of greatness, impacting others and impacting them in a way that makes them feel truly fulfilled and loved. Mm, it's a nice way to finish another one of our wide-ranging, <laughs> authentic conversations. Just in finishing, um, I, I just want a few things. I want to acknowledge you. I'm getting quite emotional about this, but I do want to acknowledge you um, for the work that you continue to do. I'm often reminded... Um, by a range of influential women um, in my life who are doing incredible work, and, and I'm putting you in that category. Um, I just get this, I get this sense that a lot more light is being brought into the world by some amazing women, and you're one of them. So I just want to acknowledge the work that you're doing. I think that you're a very special person that is doing incredible work for a whole range of other people. So I want to thank you. You're doing some great work. Um, Hopefully your listeners enjoy hearing you on the other side Mm. of the microphone. Um, Keep being you. Um, The world's a better place with you in it. Sarah Greenberg, thank you very much. Thank you, my beautiful friend. It's always a pleasure to share space with you. And it was just, it was so beautiful today. So thank you. For more inspiration and wisdom, I would love you to join me and my community on Instagram at a Life of Greatness podcast. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, and watch videos on this and other episodes, head to saragrimberg.com. Love what you heard? Then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Nikolic and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast. Download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.